Hi, this is Tom Stern. I'm the author of the novel Sutterfeld, You're Not a Hero, out uh, from uh, Rare Bird Books. And um, I'm excited to be talking today with Anne Logan. Um, <clears throat> Anne reviews books on her blog, I've read this.com, and appears on various radio programs throughout Alberta, um, talking about the latest in books. And she's held many positions in the book industry, including programming manager at Calgary's Literary Festival Word Fest, and is a publicist at Cormorant Books. And she's also the vice president of the board of directors for the Writers Guild of Alberta. And did I leave anything out, Anne? No, that's that's about it. All right, sounds impressive. <laughs> um, so, what prompted uh, us to to chat today is uh, Anne recently reviewed my novel Sutterfeld. You're not a hero on her blog, <clears throat> and I uh, it, it just I sort of found her reaction to the book really really intriguing, really interesting. Um, and so I guess to start, and do you want to maybe just kind of, I guess, characterize your reaction to the book or sort of summarize that review a little? Sure. Yeah. Um, I have to admit that I was a bit terrified when I saw your email in my inbox. <laughs> Whenever I review a book and then the author emails me afterwards, it's a bit scary. <laughs> I'm, I'm a menacing figure. Gonna, well, I, I'm worried that they're going to, you know, I may have misinterpreted the book or something like that. But um, uh -huh. no, I'm, I'm really excited to be doing this. So thank you for inviting me. Um, so, the, I mean, the book in general, I mean, it, it, is, kind of, it is shorter than other books that um, I've been reading lately. So I got through it pretty quickly. Um, but every time I put it down, I thought to myself, now, what am I missing here? Because I felt like it was just ripe with symbolism, but I just maybe wasn't smart enough to get what you were getting at. So it was something that I had to think about quite a bit. And, you know, a lot of books that you read are just very straightforward. You kind of finish and think, hmm, yeah, that was fun. But your book really got me thinking. And that's, that's what I talked about in my blog post was that um, I, I'm still thinking about it even weeks after I've read it. And... To me, that is a sign of a good book. So, well done. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, and and I think that um, it's interesting as I sort of looked at or interpreted your review. There are elements of the book when you were reading it, sort of in, in your first pass, that there was, a, I guess, a circularity to some of the language, or or almost like a. Um, a narrowness to some of the analysis that the the main character Sutterfeld is really going through. He's a, a guy who is a, a low level office employee at this uh, mega corporation called Thundercom, which is the world's largest manufacturer of all things material. Mm -hmm. And he sort of happens into uh, he, he kind of makes a mistake in his job, and it results in him being instantly promoted to the position of CEO, where he really starts wrestling with what is this place and, and, and all the sort of odd, unusual things that, that he sort of starts to um, uncover. And there's a real kind of circularity to how he thinks through things or works through things. And it, and it seemed like on your first pass, correct me if I'm wrong, as you're reading through, there, there was almost like a, um, th th that was challenging in some ways to you. It was something you were kind of almost reckoning with. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I mean, the way that Sutterfeld talked, or sorry, Charleston talked to himself and, you know, went through things in my in, in his own mind, I kind of found myself doing the exact same thing. Like, he would, you know, rack his brain about really tedious things, and as a reader, it's kind of annoying to read that. But mm -hmm. then as I was writing the blog post, I was like, I was racking my brain about these same, like, tedious things. Like, 
why is Mr. Twitharp, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but, but his, his, this, you know, this huge um, president of this corporation, why is he not yeah. human-like? Like, I, that was one question I wanted to ask you is, is he actually human? Is he not human? What kind of creature is he? And how come he's, is it, you know, I'm like, okay, so he's, he's the president of this corporation and he doesn't seem like he's human. Well, probably a lot of people at mega corporations would say the president of their company doesn't seem human either, but he physically doesn't seem human. He's like this blob of a, of a person. So I, I was really interested about why you did that and what, how you actually envisioned him in your mind. Yeah, that's a good question and a tough one. Um, <clears throat> I think that, <clears throat> I guess for me, in, in part, I think that that with with this book, there are certain sort of layers to things. It, it, it's Sutterfeld sort of it's a process of him kind of awakening and coming to know things and coming to understand things. And I think that there's an element to coming to know things that's always unsettling to me. It's it's sort of like when even when you get to the answer for something that you're really seeking or pursuing, you realize that there are just more and more layers of questions to it, or sort of in the platonic sense, all you can ever really know is what it is that what you don't know. Um, and so I think that in some ways, you know, Mr. Twytharp is this kind of manifestation of what's kind of at a, at a, a core <clears throat> and unknown to, to Sutterfeld and, and an unknown to me when I look out into the world, which is, how do all these things transpire in these ways? I mean, how did all these roads get here? How did all these buildings get here? And we can say that they're kind of the product of human ambition, and they are, but they're, I think, more than that, too. I mean, they're bigger than any one person. And so I think I, I see Mr. Twytharp as being, um, in some ways, this sort of, um, you know, representative or a symbol in some ways of, of in this case, I guess, capitalism. But uh I think that he's also a little bit more than that in the sense that it's a tidy answer to say, well, capitalism is what leads to kind of all this, this commercialism and all of these layers of, of things and objects that get in, in, in between us and, and maybe what our lives really mean. Um, because there's, there's a, I think, a human side to what drives that too. I mean, it, it's easy to say, oh, well, the CEO of this major corporation is, a, is, a, is an evil person. But in truth, you know, they're, 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 they're not, I mean, they're human beings. And, and so I think that he is kind of this, this wrestling, if you will, on my part with, with exactly that, with this question of who are the people behind these things that, that really are, are filling our world with stuff. And, um, and sometimes that stuff is really great and sometimes it's not, and it's easy to just say they're, they're evil. And so I think that there are aspects of Mr. Twytharp that are undefined, but I think that, that, that's that that's the way it is when anybody tries to kind of really pinpoint or define or isolate something mm -hmm. um and you know in, in many ways there's a real i almost feel like mr twytharp has a real humanity to him he shares a moment towards the end of the book with sutterfeld where uh if memory serves sutterfeld gets you know his, his like sixth or seventh black eye of the book mm -hmm. and it's a very public disgrace and a public um public publicly seen and he shares a moment with Mr. Twytharp where Mr. Twytharp really kind of understands the shame or, or, or the sadness that, that Sutterfeld is feeling. Mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, I, I have this great affection for him, even though he's really kind of this odd, amorphous blob of a man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. 
and the fact that he doesn't resemble a human, you know, it's something that he's really embarrassed about, and this is why he hides up on this, in the top of this tower and stuff. So yeah. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, no, and that's... In a me. lot of ways. Yeah. And I think there's something interesting in that to me as well, that I, the idea of... Um, of, of him having this humanity in different, in, in certain ways, even though the way he looks would really contradict that. And the way that you would react to him would be almost viscerally frightened or appalled by him. And much in the same way that, you know, the cogs kind of high, the, co the cogs that Sutterfeld has to watch as the CEO of this company, these giant cogs that are up in this hidden floor of the, of, of the Thundercom tower. Um, and as much as they kind of, withhold their meaning from him in many ways i think you know there are these kind of layers or these hidden layers to 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 aspects of this world where you, when you dig into them they they kind of in some ways reveal more questions but in other ways reveal things that are maybe the total opposite of what you thought would be there in some capacity mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah the cogs were also really like what i found a really interesting symbol of the book because you know, uh, there's that saying, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but, you know, if you're, you're a little cog in a giant wheel, um, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that's how a lot of workers feel in large corporations. And so the fact that Sutterfeld is given the task of literally watching cogs turn as <laughs> the CEO, <laughs> and that's all he has to do, um, I, thought was, I thought was quite poignant, um, because it is such a useless task. And... Um, and, but, but you never actually find out what the cogs do, mm -hmm. what their actual purpose is, you know, whether they're just um, there for show. So, um, and I, the, the cogs, I, I can't remember, but the, um, that scene where you have um, Sutterfeld coming out of Mr. Twytharp's office and his room starts to fill with water and he feels mm -hmm. like he's drowning in this ocean. Um, yeah. I, I was really interested by that scene because it felt like a turning point for Charleston. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can try. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree that it was a real turning point for him and in a real moment where, um, I think he, he, it's a, it's kind of a, well, it kind of play, it rides this line as I think a lot of the book does between, is it literally happening? Is it figuratively happening? Um, and I, and I tried carefully to, to craft that so that everything seemed like it, it could be happening, but it also seems weird that it would be happening at the same point in time, mm -hmm. but it's not so far out there that you think, well, I'm just in this guy's head. He, yeah. this could actually be sort of a strange reality itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's funny, the, the issue of the cogs is one that I, I wrestled with, um, especially as we got nearer and nearer to, to the publication date for the book. And what I really was wrestling with was that on the one hand, I felt, I felt very strongly that it was important that, that Sutterfeld himself not get to know what, the cogs are mm -hmm. that that for him the important thing was that that he see that maybe his the, the meaning of his actions themselves are more important than the results of those things and that maybe actually focusing on the meaning of those things was kind of taking back his life in some ways instead of letting it be defined by all of these things in our world um 
But I also really wrestled with, from a reader's perspective, um, is it important to know what it is that the cogs do? And so I came to a point where I realized that the only way I would really kind of be able to answer this question for myself and and be able to sleep at night for years to come was if I just I, I wrote an epilogue that basically addressed head on what that the answer to that question was. And I had um, I had some people read it, and the reaction that they gave was that it was satisfying as a reader to kind of have an answer to that, but it also made them simultaneously aware that whatever the answer was, it lessened or diminished whatever it is that they had been thinking that it could be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think I went back and forth and, and I remember even talking with Rare Bird about it a good bit um, and kind of came to the point where it felt like it was more important that, um, that, that, the reader hopefully be asking those questions and the reader hopefully, you know, come to that place. And I didn't want to diminish it. Um, I think some people were telling me it it kind of took away an element of almost magical realism to them where, you know, some of them are reading and thinking, you know, what these cogs are, maybe they're the answer to the entire universe. Maybe they're, they're some mystical (laughs) magical thing versus just tied to this business. And so um, I see that scene with the water and all that stuff is having, you know, relating to that issue of what the cogs are, but also being something that I didn't ultimately just want to kind of hammer down an answer in some ways, exactly for the reason, you know, the, the, the and part of what I really loved again about your review was, um, was the, the way in which it seemed like the book kind of made you wrestle with it and, and sort of, question yourself and almost go through this process, as you pointed out in your review, which I thought was beautiful, that's almost akin to Sutterfeld's in many ways. Yeah, yeah totally. <clears throat> well, and the fact that I'm, I'm hearing you say that you did write an epilogue, I'm glad that you didn't include it. I mean, it's true that it is satisfying as a reader to be like, ah, oh, okay, yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> but it's so much better to, you know, just to, just leave it to your imagination, you know, and I think that's more... Uh, ultimately, I think that's the sign of a better writer. Because if you just answer all the questions for us, well, then the book doesn't have as much lasting impact. Um, and you know, as I said before, like I'm still thinking about it, <laughs> and I don't. And I, I'm glad I didn't read that epilogue because it is it's still up to my imagination about what those cogs actually do. And you know, when you're talking about how you, um, you have these elements of um, of you know magic realism like is there actually water in his office is this all in his head you know that serves to unbalance us as a reader and that also adds to this um you know constant need to rethink how i am perceiving the book because it it may it may be happening Sutterfeld's head it may be happening actually i don't really know but that's that's um, that's why the book is so great because it's it's up to you as a reader to uh, figure that out for yourself. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for not including the epilogue. I guess is what I'm. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it is. But you bring up an you know an interesting point, which is a point that I you know wrestle with probably much like Sutterfeld wrestles with things. But that question of of kind of what is the expectation of a narrative in a book and even and I feel like that answer is different depending on what genre you're writing or even just oh, what yeah. author you're reading. 
but it, but it's an interesting question to me, and I guess one I'd be curious to hear your your thoughts about because you read so much, right? I mean, I saw yeah. a list on your blog of like how many books did you read last year? It was like a hundred books or something. Oh no, I wish. I well, I used to read a lot more, but now that I have a child, I read a lot less. <laughs> so last year I read sixty one books. <laughs> okay, well, still, it's impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, what are your kind of expectations when you go into reading a book? Like narratively, what are your expectations, or are they different? And and if so, what determines them? You know what? It's it's definitely different for each genre. Like, um, I I openly admit that one of my favorite um, series of books is the Murder She Wrote series. <laughs> based on the the show from the 80s and 90s and um that genre is known as the cozy mystery genre so basically they're mysteries that will always be solved there's not a lot of blood and gore and those are very satisfying to read because um you know what to expect um but you still have this enjoyment of reading a mystery versus literary fiction where, um, you know, you kind of, it, they're typically longer, there's more meat to them. So, yeah, literary fiction is something that you typically have to enter more with an open mind. Um, because a lot of times you're forced as a reader to pick through the sentences. It's not as easy to understand what's going on. Um, the characters are much more, you know, in depth. Um, generally, the narration is a little bit harder to follow, but it's, it's more rewarding, I find. So when I picked up your book, I wasn't sure what genre it was going to be, Mm -hmm. Um, but I kind of guessed it was more literary, and um, I'm not sure if you would agree, but I I found it kind of more, I would call it literary fiction. I don't know if you would agree with that. It's less commercial fiction, I would say. Um, You know, it's not chiclet, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I definitely would, and I definitely think that... um, it's interesting. I mean, I think that a lot of the books that influence me and a lot, a lot of the books that I didn't feel like influenced that influence Sutterfeld directly, um, definitely fall more into that category. And I think for me, usually when I'm, you know, picking up a book to read, I'm, I'm usually often, um, I'm often more interested in, in that being sort of challenged in those ways, like you're mentioning. Um, and, in a weird way, there's something cozy about that to me, um, kind of being d- delving into a world, delving into um, just being in a space where you, you kind of don't even know what to expect next from mm-hmm. those authors. I mean, I, I think about Sutterfeld and I think um, I see a lot of influences from like um, Joseph Heller's Catch-22, um, Kafka's Metamorphosis, Bartleby the Scrivener, Melville. Um, I think I, I see a lot of influences there, um, even though I think those are stylistically really different to me, and 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 I almost have different expectations of each of those authors, which I find really interesting. Again, kind of where those expectations even really come from. Hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, literary fiction do, does tend to err more on the side of character development. Um, you know, in depth in-depth look at the characters themselves like not as many it's it's not as plot driven you know and um i found your book was a good mix of plot and character development and it, it was interesting that you kind of skipped over his um i think it was about six weeks i think that he left kind of on a mini vacation um 
to to explore uh you know america and he visited all Mm -hmm. these different cities and he kind of skipped over it in like a paragraph which was really interesting because you know normally people's lives the highlights of their lives are their vacations and they just skip over their work life it's like oh yeah that's the day-to-day monday no one wants to hear about that but this is what i did on my vacation (laughs) and the fact that you kind of did the exact opposite i found was really interesting because it would be easy to just kind of turn, have turned the book into this, like, oh, and then he went to San Francisco, and it was great, you know? But um, it was like, no, no, no. He, he, he went on vacation, right. and then he came back, and then, uh, you know, he realized he had no money. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that part of it, too. And to me, that's true literary fiction, because you're forcing the reader to, um, to take a look at the things that they may not want to look at um, on the surface. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I, 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 that that section of the book has always been interesting to me as well because that actually I have written that that whole segment and I had written a, it was a sort of a, a piece that was built around him kind of going and and trying to develop these new starts in these new places, and the more I, I developed it and kind of returned to it, the more it just it felt a little bit like it wasn't of a piece. It felt a little bit like that was a different story or a different phase. Um, and that the real sum total of those things and what they kind of amounted to, in addition to hopefully also being kind of interesting and fun, but was that they, that, that he was being pulled back, um, and that he almost, you know, kind of couldn't avoid that. And he, he winds up coming back in this uh, admittedly odd way as a, as a janitor for the building. Um, but, uh, it's it sort of, I feel like it took us outside of the, the world of it. And yeah, I think he is definitely somebody who almost tragically doesn't really have much else in his life. I mean, no. even though he doesn't really identify that deeply, at least initially, with with what with his job and sort of doesn't necessarily feel defined by it, he really doesn't have all that much else in his world um, that does define him outside of that context. And you're right; it is kind of a, a an inversion of, I guess, the way that most people would would think about things. Um, and again, part of what I found interesting in your review was the the feeling as though it felt as though kind of the fever dream part of it kind of carried over in some ways for you. Like the it, it, the, the way you were kind of coming back to the book and thinking about it was almost like the way that Satterfeld was pulled back into his work. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I think that's really reflective of real life, too, is that you know, we can dream about our vacation and we can think about it, but at the end of the day, we still have to come back home. We still have to go back to the same apartment and go back to the same job um, day after day after day. And Sutterfeld, at the beginning of the book, seems perfectly content with this. You know, he, he shows up to work every once in a while with these black eyes, and um, he has to have awkward conversations with his coworkers about them. But um, But he seems, you know quite content with his life he has a simple apartment he has he sleeps well at night you know um and he seems really happy with that um so it's it was interesting the way that kind of started to unravel for him and the vacation that that kind of sort of vacation that happened towards the end was was almost like uh it 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 just pushed him back into this into this life that he had tried to leave um but he just had to come back to it as a, as a janitor, <laughs> which was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, he kind of had, 
I think almost unwittingly has to answer those questions or has to, to try to answer those questions. I think he can't, he can't get away from it. And I don't know that that's, um, you know, I don't know that that's not a fool's errand either, or maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Maybe he's, um, I don't know where he, where he winds up, you know, 10 years down the road, but I think he winds up better off. I think. Yeah. Well, it seems like, I mean, he, he was, he started, um, the book starts with him in right. kind of mid-level job and he seems fairly content. And then when he gets um, promoted to this, um, to the CEO, he, it, it's clear that this is a terribly boring job and he's not going to be happy with it. He's so distraught over it. And then when he starts working as a janitor at the, at literally the very bottom of the building, figuratively and physically, that it it seemed to me like that was almost the most fulfilling position for him because he was very busy and he didn't have to talk to people and he got to sit and muse about things and it wasn't strange. So um, I, I thought that was kind of interesting the way that he did that as well, how he kind of worked his way through the ranks. I'm just curious to hear, you know, any other thoughts on the book or questions or anything like that? Um, what are, as you continue to wrestle with the book now, weeks later, um, what are the questions? What are some of the questions that we haven't talked about yet? Um, well, I'm curious, you, you're, um, a, a director and a, a screenwriter, um, in your, in your other life when you're not writing books, is that correct? Or? Yeah, I've got a couple other lives. So I, uh, <laughs> I wrote and directed um, two indie features um, that uh, played some festivals in the U.S. and in Europe and uh, got some small distribution deals um, and continue to write as well, um, developing some, some TV, uh, TV project now. And, uh, but I'm also, I also have a day job as uh, the assistant vice president of admissions at Art Center College of Design. So, um, a couple lives mixed in there, I suppose. They all center around creative things in general. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, when you were writing this book, did it start off as, as like a movie in your head? Because I think it would be great to see it and you, um, um, live. You, <laughs> you started... Go ahead. No, sorry. You go. No, I was just going to ask you. So you you started your career, or you you were in your career for a long time in the the publishing industry, in the book industry. Had you always been a, a book lover? Had that always been the goal for you? You know, I've always been a book lover, um, and uh, after doing an English literature degree. I realized that there was no jobs. <laughs> There's not a lot of jobs that I could have with just that. So um, that's when I went to, um, and did a book publishing certificate to kind of get my uh-huh. foot in the door. And um, yeah. I was able to kind of continue my love of books um, into uh, an actual job, which was really nice. And now um, I when I finished working at that literary festival, I took a job with the University of Calgary, which has nothing to do with books. So to kind of stay in the loop, I started my book blog, um, which has just been so great because you you get to discover books like this, you know, that I, I never would have come across being in Canada. I'd never heard of Rare Bird before, 
but after looking them up, I'm like, oh man, this is just so great. And I'm not, um, I, I don't review books, um, for a lot of U.S. publishers. Um, so it was really wonderful to discover rare, but rare bird. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad Winona contacted me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, and it's, I, I think it's pretty amazing too, just the maintaining your blog and, and staying active with reading and staying active with, you know, with reviewing and all that. It's the, those, that's something I would never have the, uh, the wherewithal to do. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it, it impresses me. Um, just people that put that out, put that out into the world. Um, and you know, just to, you know, develop your own voice and develop your own vision for those things and just uh, execute them and follow through on them is, is great. Um, and, well, I, and, and I should say I'm, I'm, I'm a reader, not a writer. You know, people always ask me like, oh, do you want to write a book? No, I never want to write a book. I think being an author would be so hard. And, you know, well, being a publicist, I'm used to working with authors. I just, uh, I think, I mean, the, the pro like the idea of having to write such a long work alone is very daunting to me. Like I hated writing essays in university and like a book is a million times harder than that. You know, having to write these things and then having editors, copy editors, all these people rip it apart, I think would be pretty difficult. And I just think it's kind of this, um, it's kind of a thankless task being an author. You know what I mean? So I have a lot of respect for you too, because it's hard work. Writing is really hard and it takes hours and hours of your time. And so many authors do it in their spare time, you know, before and after work, they wake up early to write. And I just think, God, it takes so much dedication. So good on you. <laughs> Th thanks. But I think it's also, um, I think I'd be lost without it. I think it's, you know, it's a great, it's an amazing privilege in some ways to get to just sit down and to to work and to to try to think through these things and get lost in them and try to build them and develop them over time and i think part of the um you know the 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 difficulty of the task i think is part of what makes it so so wonderful is just getting to um to invest in all that all the thought and all the time and all the effort so in some ways i, I feel like i'd be kind of lost without it if I didn't if I didn't get yeah. to sit down and, and try to push words around a page and hope that they uh they come out reasonably well so well and um, the, the fact that you have a yeah. published book Go is writers. huge right like so um, many people don't realize okay. how difficult well, it is to think, publish um we should probably wrap things up then um again I really appreciate you taking the time I appreciate you taking the time to read my book and to think about it. Um, oh, and, thank uh, you. That, that's something really remarkable to me as well is that, uh, I, you know, I don't know you and you don't know me. And, uh, you know, you picked up this, this thing that still in some ways feels like it's just a file on my computer. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, spent the time thinking along with me, thinking about all the, you know, the, the thoughts that I was wrestling with and trying to put out there. So uh, I, I thank you for being a reader of the book as well. And, uh, and uh, thank you for, for writing about it on your blog. Well, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much, Anne. Okay, bye.